Oh yeah, you're back. We are good, on, guys. How are you? Good. good. Welcome. How are you doing? Yeah. Good, man. Doing well. Doing well. No complaints. Welcome to the insurance dudes. Yeah. Thank you. It's pretty informal. We yeah, just. Yeah. No, appreciate it. Yeah, but, but it's informal. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can choose anything that you may like the most that's on the back wall there. On his back wall, he has some 80s memorabilia. Okay, I'm, nice. <laughs> I'm big on the uh, the Back to the Future. Got back to the Future is pretty strong. Yeah. New Bill and Ted uh, yeah, that's new. poster. So. Oh, there you go. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Insurance Dudes, a podcast for insurance agency owners helping us to think of different ways to optimize our business and our lives. On this week's episode of The Insurance Dudes, Craig Pretzinger and Jason Feltman are joined by Dave Williams. He started as a regional manager of Circuit City, and when they went out of business, he bought all the inventory to fund his agency. Now he sits at $20 million and has a ton of other enterprises. Welcome to the studio, Dave Williams. You have a strong story from what I hear, um, and I've heard a l- little bit of it, your backstory. But uh, for uh, for those who haven't heard the whole thing, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, I got with Allstate back in uh, 2009. I was kind of in a, a unique situation. Everything just kind of fell into place. So, it's back in 2009. I was a store manager at Circuit City for about 10 years. That was my first job out of college. Used to play uh, college baseball, you know, growing up. I thought that's what I was going to do for life is play pro ball. Obviously, that, that didn't work out. Ended up hurting my arm. Um, went to school, moved to a different college for tool and die. Came out, hated doing that. It just wasn't my passion whatsoever. So I had a friend that worked in the car stereo department at Circuit City, and it was supposed to be a temporary job at the time. I went in, found out I was pretty good at people, um, good at talking with people, became a pretty good salesperson. Became the number one uh, car stereo salesperson in the company in a short period of time. Moved up, became the a store company uh, in the company of uh, Circuit City. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, became a, a manager. So they moved me into management, and then I became a uh, store manager. Was did that for about ten years. Um, I was also uh, towards the end of things too. Half the time I was a store manager, and then I was an executive flying down to uh, home office for Circuit City on an innovation team, coming up with uh, basically new business concepts. Uh, towards the end, I ended up coming down with health issues, and they didn't know what was going on with me. I just had uh, you know my ankle started to swell up. I couldn't walk. I was having this severe back pain, and to the point where I was uh, disabled and I was off of work. They found out what it was. It was almost a form of rheumatoid arthritis. Started putting me on a lot of different medication. Uh, started to hit my six month mark. I wasn't ready to come back to work, but they were going to terminate me if I went past six months. So that was the longest they could hold my job. Forced myself to get back to work before I was ready. Um, obviously being off of work for six months and, and not getting paid what you're used to getting paid can put you in a pretty tough financial spot. That's where I was. I was back behind on my mortgage, borrowing money from people, came back to work four months later after being back to work, finally getting back in the swing of things. Circuit City announced that they're filing chapter 11 and I was going to lose my career. Um, it, you know, I, I worked for my, most of my adult life, uh, for 10 years, knew I needed to do something different. But, you know, here here I was with, uh, you know, my health wasn't in the best place. My finances wasn't the best place. And I didn't have a job. Wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had a friend of the family that was in Allstate at the time, decided to look into insurance, uh, started looking at different companies. By far, Allstate had the best program. 
Uh, so I started just before I even knew much about it, getting my licenses. People told me, oh, go work for somewhere first um, because most businesses fail. Get your feet wet. And I was like, you know, what? I just need to create a life. I was sick of working for people. I always had an entrepreneurial spirit and I needed to create a life for myself, especially with the way my health was. I knew that I couldn't be on my feet and I needed to do something on my own terms. So I decided that was going to be the way I wanted to go. And when I sat down, I uh, realized that you know, I needed capital and I had some debt that needed to be paid off too that was uh, getting in the way of uh, starting up. So right after the conversation where I met with uh, a recruiter in an FSL at Allstate, uh, liquidators started coming in and they made a request to us that all the open merchandise in the store, they wanted to blow out for pennies on the dollar. And I saw that as my opportunity to raise my capital. So I asked the liquidators, what if I bought it all uh, from every Circuit City store within three hours of me? I took the last seven grand out of my 401k. I took the hit on it. I bought about 80 grand worth of electronics. I sold it all online on eBay, paid off all my debt that I needed to pay, paid my bills for the time being while I was still off of work and raised the capital that I needed to start my first scratch agency, hired two people that lost their job with me at Circuit City. And then we Honestly, I just acted as if somebody was trying to take it away from me 24 hours a day because I knew that was the path in between where I was and where I needed to go. And uh, no joke, I have it to this day at, at my house still. I wrote myself out before I even really got into the business and understood it. I just knew that you could make money in it and people did. I wrote myself out a check for a million dollars, framed it, took my unemployment card in there and stuck it in there. Just so I looked at it every single day as that was my goal to hit. And uh, the unemployment card was there to remind myself that where I came from, from the bottom. And, um, and it wasn't about the money. It was really what that check, if I could cash it one day, symbolized. And it symbolized that I could create, again, a path for myself uh, on my own terms, just a life for my family and um, life for my beautiful wife, life for my parents. My parents growing up, I had a brother, the brother that passed away. Um, he went down... Uh, the wrong path in life. That's what led to his passing was uh, addiction. And um, growing up, when he went down that path, um, my parents never wanted to see my, me or my sister ever go down that same path. So my dad would literally work day and night around the clock. He had his own business putting gutters on houses. So he would uh, work all day long, come back home, snowplow, literally operate on two to three hours sleep to make sure we didn't go down that same path. And they never saved for retirement, never bought new clothes for themselves. So I made my mission that I wanted to take care of them in the later years. And uh, that I was able to do. Um, we uh, I eventually, I set a goal by 35 to cash that check. I did it by 34 and a half, every single inner circle trip that we've won. And we've, uh, we've made it just about every year uh, since in business, I brought my parents on and um you know, we've grown from scratch. We grew most of our business from scratch. I started their first office as a scratch agency. Then we uh, did a, another office as a scratch agency, another office as a scratch agency, finally acquired a book. And then my wife got into business. Fast forward to today, um, you know, we're up to about $20 million in uh, reoccurring revenue that we built. And uh, it, was, it was probably the, you know, everything with Circuit City was a blessing in disguise and was one of the best decisions that I ever made in my life. And you know, living a, a, a totally different life right now, feeling really blessed. Like that's quite a story. That's unreal. Um, the perspective you have from going through that, I'm sure is just 
I mean, you can't put a dollar amount on that. I mean, your, your dad to sacrifice like that is awesome. No, hundred percent. And I think it was, it was the sight of losing that, that like motivated me, that fear to get me to be successful early on, because I was literally, you know, it was, it was still back then when they needed a capital, I think it was maybe like $25,000. And by the time we started going in, in expenses, I, I was two months away from going out of business unless I hit the, the pavement hard and start bringing in revenue. Um, our first customer to this day is still with us, Geraldo Hernandez. It took us four hours to sign up his first policy. So I remember the trainers came in on day one and they said the first two weeks we're going to train and then we can sell. And I was like, listen, I don't have time to sit around and train. We need to sell now. And uh, we were in a shopping mall across from the DMV. So he was the first person. I just started pulling people out of line and bring them in. I'm like, you're going to train me while I'm bringing people in and trying to sell them. And uh, the guy was incredibly patient. We literally, the trainer trained us while we were quoting and signing this person up in All-Star. And then we just learned fast and furious just by quoting, 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 100% focused on revenue, everything that we did. And when we started, there was no CRM system or marketing or anything like that. It was literally almost like calling out of a phone book. I think we had Cole X dates. And uh, we were just calling from a normal desk phone, just pounding lists off pieces of paper that we're printing out on coal estates manually. You know, we hit up our friends and family first and then went through that pretty quick and then just started dialing literally night and day until we started to build up a revenue stream. And uh, as we built up the revenue stream, I just studied night and day the business, learning different systems, figuring out what obstacles and roadblocks were in our way, in my team's way that we could uh, simplify and then started investing in marketing systems, processes, and that's where things began to scale out. And we started to replicate and bring on more talent and uh, um, continued to grow. That's awesome. How different do you think it is for somebody starting out now versus when, when you jumped in? Because you, you, know, you mentioned All Star, which a lot of the folks that are going to be on here never even heard of. Yeah, I think it's different, but it, in the same, it, it's different, but the same. So there's like a different dynamic. We've got different systems. I think the problem out there for people starting out is there's day one, you get hit with a fire hose and there's too many shiny objects out there. And everybody's like kind of focused on everything. When I believe your first day, especially as a scratch agent, there is one thing that is important and one thing only, and it's figuring out how to drive revenue to stay in business and grow that thing as fast as possible. Obviously, you know, keeping the customer experience in consideration, being that trusted advisor. But a lot of the minutia out there that uh, I think sometimes people fall victim into focusing on, well, I need to learn this, or everybody's trying to become an expert in everything before they feel comfortable, like really diving in and growing the business. It's like, figure it out. Because that's how we learn the quickest. We became the most nimble is like, we didn't care about any of that other things. We just turned off the blinders and just went one specific direction focusing on growing the business and we probably learn quicker than we ever would have learned by just having that mentality again it's so acting as if somebody was trying to take it away from us 24 hours a day that's awesome um so what what uh when did it really start ramping for you so you're you're at 20 million now i mean you started with nothing um obviously right out of the gate, you're trying to figure it all out. There had to be that curve, right? That exponential. Curve. I think our first month, you know, I didn't have any insurance experience or anything coming out. We did about 75 items, just kind of winging it. 
And then uh, we hit a hundred, probably like a maybe month two or month three in. Um, that's when we added more staff into it. Got up to about six staff. And then we built that book to uh, in a couple of years to two and a half million. Um, then at that point, I was in uh, a shopping mall at the time. It was only seven hundred square feet. Uh, we were starting to outgrow it. We got to the point where literally in the 700 square feet space, we built these like cubicles that were tight and we had a dozen people in there all working on top of each other. Uh, while we were uh, buying the building that I'm in now, we found this rundown foreclosure building. The bank was sitting on for a while. got a really good deal on it, renovated it out. My dad actually came in, did a lot of the work and uh, you know built it into what it was today. But we were looking for something we could expand in and grow into. And this was 6,000 square feet. So we bought that building, or this building here, acquired it, uh, did another agency. We grew about double the rate that we did in the first one, uh, grew to about four and a half million in the second agency. Um, then we did the third agency of Scratch, where we grew that from scratch up to uh, 7.5 million. We obviously wrote more business than that, but that's what it said to, uh, that's what it ended up at today. And then we acquired one book of business and then, uh, uh, then my, my wife joined in and she, she acquired a book as well. That's cool. So she runs that other agency or how did, how does that work? Yeah. So she has her own agency that she runs, but you know, we still do operate as a duo and a team kind of working off of each other's strengths. So what I try to do is really protect my role is the almost the visionary, so to speak, the creative person, the person's up on up top on the, uh, the totem pole looking down at everything to make sure everything's running efficiently. Um, Cause I, I think one thing I've learned being in business too, the one trap you can fall into, if you try to do everything yourself, the business starts to run you rather than you running the business. And while you're focused on this one thing that you think is important, whether it's handling customer calls or you're selling or whatever that may be, there's a thousand fires burning around you that you, you could have had the foresight to see if you're up top in the pole. So I'm a big believer and there's got to be somebody up there like basically scouting the field, making sure that they're looking for landmines for the team so they don't run into them and then figuring out a way to solve problems and roadblocks for them so they can just keep moving forward and hitting targets and hitting goals. Um, so, so that's really my role. And then she's uh, there really on the operational side, making sure everything's uh, running operationally uh, in the business has the entire service team kind of reporting up to her, um, watching over that. And then the, uh, we have a, a sales director, uh, a director of operations in our agency. Uh, the sales director is basically in charge of uh, a few sales supervisors. Each of those sales supervisors have multiple, uh, one to two LSPs underneath them that they're in charge of managing or uh, along with maybe a, a, a telemarketer or two. On her side, director of operations, they have a, a supervisor underneath that. And then they have customer service reps that roll up to that supervisor that they have. So they have that kind of hierarchy where, you know, we're at the, the, the top of the pole where the, the two direct reports roll up to us. And then they, uh, they take care of everything from there on down. What was the challenges you had scaling from obviously your first agency to where you're at today? I mean, that's a, that's a huge leap. Um, and I know it was gradual, but what are some of the things that you learned? I'd say a lot of it was, yeah, it was just learning over time. Um, and it, I'd say a big thing was first and foremost, we had to create infrastructure. So as we started to scale and you start to grow too fast, sometimes it, you, you get to a point where you're scaling chaos and you know, it's, you're growing and you're hitting goals, but it's, uh, 
a little more of a rocky road than, uh, than you would hope for. So we learned very quickly we had to create that type of infrastructure where we had direct people underneath us, teams underneath them. And uh, it, it's more than just an infrastructure, too. It's, it's, a, it's a ladder for everybody. So we have really high retention amongst uh, um, our core staff that have been with us. Our core staff that have been with us has been three years plus. We have people have been with us for seven years, five years. Um, but it, it's because they have that ladder uh, to grow. Uh, we're basically, even if they start in our organization as a sales support, which is a, a telemarketer, we give them the path that they do what it takes. They can move up to uh, a licensed agent from a licensed agent can move up to a senior licensed agent um, where they have additional licenses from there. They can become a supervisor from there is sales director or director of operations. And in any of those roles too, those that aspire to be agency owners, we have on development plans to eventually own their own agency. We've probably spun off about four or five people to own their own agency so far. We have a couple people that are very close to doing the same now. And then more people um, behind them that are working their way, whether they're a year, two years, or three years out, um, to eventually own their own agency. So I really align their goals with mine. And, it, and, it's, and it's when we're talking about what we're trying to accomplish, it aligns with what they're trying to accomplish as well. So it's a, if you can't do this in this role, you're not going to be able to do this like if you get the king, keys of the kingdom and you got all these other things to worry about. So that's that's their why and their purpose that they have every single day is you know, we're real big on finding out what drives our people and supporting them both from a professional and a personal standpoint. So we do vision boards. Uh, we refresh them probably every quarter where they put their personal goals and their professional goals on them. And we touch base with our team consistently, making sure that they're always feeling like they're at least moving an inch closer to that every single day. That's so- awesome. Wildly successful here in, in, in our world, the Allstate world, but you've also got some other things going on. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, so I mean, that led us to uh, um, the success in this business too, led us to going into other things. So Tom Bianco and I, we actually joined uh, Ricochet CRM system. So we started using uh, Ricochet in our own um, business. Fondo was probably one of the most robust CRM systems that we had ever uh, used before. And um, then we just, you know, started referring business over to them, built a relationship with the owner, and uh, we ended up heading the entire insurance vertical. Uh, and we, you know, we've scaled the company pretty substantially so far, and have a really good working relationship with them that's continuing, continuously growing. Uh, we also a, a big key to our success, I think, mine and Tom's success as we started to work together as partners, and we worked together phenomenal, uh, was finding the right people. So we actually went out, we hired our own recruiter that we shared together to always be hiring and recruiting for us. We really refined a a dynamic process and uh, to find staff. But when we didn't have hiring needs, we're outsourcing that person to other uh, agents. They're having such a good experience. uh, They started referring other people to us and uh, team hired was formed. We just built our uh, own staffing recruiting company called uh, team hired. It's starting to get some, pretty good success. And and we do things a little bit differently than the normal staffing recruiting company. So we find almost to find good talent, find it quick, conserve time is, you know, treating it a lot like a numbers game, getting a lot of candidates in front of you at once. Um, So we just did a staffing event at my agency. For example, we put a big campaign out online 
Um, had 154 people sign up for interviews for one staffing event that we did. We had 72 people show up and we ended up getting about, I think, seven or eight hires out of that one hiring event that we did uh, for uh, telemarketers, two customer service, two benefit specialists and a, uh, uh, and a sales rep that we did out of it. Um, but we've been doing that. I know we just recently worked with uh, Lisa Faina. We did a, a little event for her on a smaller scale, and it was a, a massive success for her. I think she's hiring about two to three people out of that, just out of one event, one showing that they had go there. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're excited. We love working with other businesses, entrepreneurs, and agency owners, helping them, you know, scale their businesses. So, and we're, we're just always looking to diversify. That's so cool, man. I love that. Um, so we were ju- we just talked to another agency owner, and we were talking about how you know even coaches need coaches. And I noticed that you, uh, I think you did the Ty Lopez Mastermind. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, well, so, so I did. Uh, about- yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent on self development, and then even in this past year, I've just really doubled down on it. Um, you know, I've always read books, I've always uh, tried to invest in myself, but I'd say it wasn't with the right level of intention. And when I went to 10x and I uh, met Ty there, I've always seen Ty online, but when he got up on stage, he was probably one of the brightest um, business entrepreneurs that I've ever seen out there. He's just a real smart guy follows Warren Buffett and a lot of these people. And he's a big proponent on just always be learning every day. And he literally reads a book a day. So he's always growing and always getting better. And I joined his small mastermind, went into that, did the small mastermind with him. And it was so great. We got so much value out of it. We did a visit at his house that I joined a large mastermind, made a big investment. You know, probably last year alone, we invested six figures, over six figures between travel, going to conferences and mastermind events. Um, But we'd go out to them every couple months out to his house or different venues that he would have. And what that looked like is he would come in and teach business practices, how he scaled his business, have his partner come in, Alex Mayer, that uh, is actually the co-founder of MentorBox with him, scaled uh, uh, Zeus that was a that he just sold for $255 million, uh, a dating company that he had. And they would talk about different aspects, how like on a marketing, you know, one, one part of the conference would be on marketing and how they used marketing to grow their business. And they would give you a complete blueprint on that. And then they would pull in basically other badasses just like that, that would uh, come in and share how they built their companies. And it was pretty interesting too, because you saw, different people from different industries and different verticals talk about how these built these businesses from scratch. And you could see the commonalities amongst all of them, but also get key insights. Wow. This is how we could get into another business. We actually met a guy out there that built this uh, from scratch, $25 million solar company in his first year. And we're, uh, you know, potentially working on a strategic partnership with him to get in the, in the solar. But had I not been in, had I not, you know, thought outside the box and realized that, you know what, I need to start getting in rooms where I'm uncomfortable that that's going to make me grow with people that are a lot taller and talented than me. Um, that's going to allow me to grow and accelerate a lot faster. Um, got a chance opportunity to meet some of these people. And it's a lot of other entrepreneurs just from around the country that are in insurance. They're in uh, debt collection. They've built timeshare businesses and, you get to collaborate. So half of it is learning from people. Another half of it is collaboration and networking with uh, other individuals. 
That's awesome. And, and so also not just, not just uh, revenue generation and not just profit, you're also involved in some philanthropy. So t- tell me a little bit about uh, Inspire a Nation. Yeah, absolutely. So Inspire Nations, our uh, nonprofit, we formed that and we've been doing a lot through that in my, uh, in my brother's name as well. But uh, I've always been a big proponent on giving back for the past 10 years. We've actually worked with uh, the boys and girl, the local uh, Boys and Girls Club of Rochester. We even had a relationship back at uh, Circuit City Days. We started there helping families out there. And it started out small and it scaled every single year. Um, where we took on one family and I you know, still keep in touch with them uh, every single year since we helped them out during the holiday times. And that's like, that started to build up year after year after year to the point where I think our biggest year, we had like 2,500 gifts we raised during Christmas time for about 180 um, uh, people in our local community and kids that we got gifts for. And usually each kid gets about 10, 15 gifts. So we started out doing that. And uh, really wanted to expand it and decided to start our own nonprofit, Inspire a Nation. And the, the intent and purpose behind that is actually going out and really doing acts of good and making a difference in the local community. Because I felt that there's a lot of, in society, there's just so much negativity these days in society. And there's a lot of people with the old school thinking way of thought that, you know what, when I go out and do good, I want to keep that to myself. You shouldn't brag about doing good. You shouldn't publish about doing good. Just do it and do it in silence. But I think the problem with that is nobody sees anybody doing good, so it doesn't catch on, and there's not this contagious factor. But there's people do see negativity, and negativity can be even more contagious. So I thought there had to be something that counterbalanced that and try to do our part as much as possible. Uh, so if anybody looks at our page, Inspire a Nation, you can see on there, you know, we just go out in the local community and just do random acts of good from – um, could be tipping a local waitress to, you know, we, we met this uh, really unique individual that was driving a taxi one day and uh, we saw he was 85 years old and worked his entire life and he was still supporting his kids, working his family. And that's all he did was work. And uh, even when we gave him a tip, he said he was giving that tip back to his kids and we wanted to do something for him. So we called him for a taxi cab ride one day and we had all of our staff lined up with gift cards and gifts for him lined up. So when he, uh, to to just kind of thank him for being who he was going out and doing things like that, sharing them on social media to encourage other people to do it, but also at the same time, show them that it doesn't even have to be monetary. It could be a a simple gesture, make it an appoint every single day to be deliberate about impacting one person's day, even with a conversation to brighten up their day. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in what Mother Teresa said. You know, one person in society, I think, can create this ripple effect that could be other lasting that affects other people and to affect uh, other people. And then also through the nonprofit, too, like in my uh, brother's name, we'll go out there and do different fundraisers and initiatives. Uh, just last year, a few months after he passed, like on his birthday, we put together a fundraiser uh, quick, raised about $24,000 between community grants and fundraising efforts that we did. And we have a scholarship program in his name. And it's a Gary Williams scholarship program. We're able to gift 24 scholarships to kids uh, at risk youth in our local community, giving them all a thousand dollar scholarship they could put towards their education. Um, And we had a couple circumstances that really that thousand dollars, sometimes you think, wow, it's a thousand dollars with the the cost of school and college. That's a drop in a bucket, but it really can go a long way because we had uh, 
a couple kids that were on the verge that in the financial situation they were, they were on the verge of getting kicked out of good schools. There was one kid specifically that was in one school. It was a, a, a historically a lower performing school is, you know, grades weren't necessarily where they needed to be. They put them in this higher performing school that obviously uh, required an investment and uh, immediately turned around and uh, started getting A's and B's. And this kid was in jeopardy of losing uh, that position in the school and having to go back to where he was. But because of one of those scholarships, he got to continue on um, where he where he was uh, uh, doing his education. And I think the, the final component of it, too, is educating business owners, too, because we find the number one reason why people don't get back is I don't got the time and I don't got the money. And um, we, we try to educate business owners that you can actually integrate that as a part of your business and actually make your business a for purpose business. And what I mean by that, an example of that would be Tom Shoes. If you look at Tom Shoes, they started out as a normal shoe company, had some decent success, but where they really expanded and got legs is when they became a for purpose company and they decided to, for example, stop selling your shoes for an average of $40 per pair, up them to $45 per pair and said, for every pair of shoes that we sell, we're actually going to put a pair of shoes on somebody else's feet that can't afford to do so. Their company exploded, but at the same time, they gave back to their uh, their communities across the nation. And I think insurance agents, anybody can do that too. Think about how can you make your insurance agency or your business a for-purpose business where part of your core value proposition of why to do business with you is that you're giving back to the local community. So when they have a decision to go with Geico, they have a decision to go with Progressive or a decision to go with you, I know I'm going to feel a lot better with going with a company that knows, cares about me, and they're giving back to their local community, making an impact and knowing even if a small portion of my dollars are going back to something that good, I want to do business with that person, even if it costs a little bit more money. So that's really what we do with the uh, the nonprofit. And then coming up this Tuesday, the, the one-year anniversary of my brother passing, we're actually trying to put together a day of good in his name where we're challenging uh, friends, colleagues, business owners, uh, anybody in the Allstate community to go out there and just conduct an act good, put it on social media, just like I talked about, to try to create that ripple effect in hashtag Gary Williams, hashtag Inspire Nation on our page. And our goal there is to try to honor his legacy that day, but at the same time, create a big buzz that gets attention. So I think a lot of times when you create attention, you can create intention and we can get more people being cognitive that, uh, you know, they can go out and do these type of things in their local community as well on a consistent basis. The dudes are on board with you. I'm, I'll, we'll definitely yeah. do it. That's awesome. One more time. Could you just explain what, what we can do or how other Allstate agents or, or any of our listeners can really contribute? 100%. So if anybody goes to my page, Inspire a Nation, um, mm-hmm. so Inspire a Nation on uh, on facebook you'll see examples of like deeds local deeds that we've done in our community and post it out there but it's really on that day we're looking for people to go out and do an act of good whether it's you know maybe over tipping your waitress um a kind gesture a conversation to somebody visiting a nursing home um volunteering somewhere it can be something incredibly simple posting out about it in the best scenario putting a video out there showing what you did Second best, putting a photo out there with a little caption. Third best, just putting out a caption of what you did out there just to share it and then tag the page, Inspire a Nation, 
and hashtag Gary Williams, hashtag Inspire Nation. Um, and, and again, we're just trying to get as many people as possible in there. And we have a local senator that's going to support and do it. We got a lot of local businesses. Our entire team's going out that day. And then we've had a lot of Allstate agents. We probably had uh, 30 or so Allstate agents say they're going to go out there too. So we're, we're climbing near the towards that hundred plus number. That's our goal to try to get a hundred or more people out there simultaneously doing that. Cause if you think about that too, just imagine in one day you start to see buzz on social media, hundred plus people going out there making an impact in different ways. Think about the ripple effect of that a hundred different people, average 500 friends, each one of those people have, and they get to see that. And then even if you got 1% of those people that went out and did something in conjunction to that, that could have a mass effect that touches a lot of people. And you, you never know, you know, when you, when you talk to that many people, who it deeply affects in a, in a way it could save a life. It could turn somebody's life around. You just never know what you're going to do with just one simple act. Yeah, that's awesome. huge. Um, yeah, for sure. How did your Allstate agency in particular, um, how do you implement the, the give back? Yeah, so we'll do different things all the time where we're doing different initiatives, fundraisers. We'll even do, uh, you know, quotes for a cause sometimes where we'll, we'll tell people uh, um, just for having a conversation with us around about their insurance, uh, nothing to do with purchasing insurance, something like that, just, just for having a conversation. We'll donate on their behalf to maybe kids in Haiti and we'll work, work with like a, a local organization to uh, feed a kid for a week. Um, you know, different things like that, gave them back to uh, veterans. Um, we'll go out and just do initiatives where I think on Mother's Day, we went out and visited the nursing home, went around and brought flowers and roses to all the mothers there that may not have had anybody that would have went there to visit them. Uh, Memorial Day, uh, we went to the grave sites and cleared them off and uh, decorated them with flags. Um, I actually spent two days on the street living on the street as a homeless person to better understand the, the homeless uh, situation and met a bunch of young kids that were in unfortunate situations that all got on the streets in, in different ways. You know, they got in a fight with their family, thought they're going to be on the street temporarily, ended up on the street for two years. Another person that moved there with a dream to start a business and it didn't work out and ended up on the streets homeless for three years. And all of them fell victim of uh, um, getting into drug addiction and heroin you know, you know, a lot of these kids, they were, uh, they're talking about what their biggest struggle was being out on the street as fast as they try to get ahead, fast as they try to uh, get out of their situation. Um, they're getting pulled back, pulled back into it. They, you know, they're fighting against the addiction, plus being on the street with little to no, uh, little to no resources. So we, you know, we, one day down in California, spent a couple thousand dollars building tent communities for them, food giving them, uh, you know, giving them additional resources out there and then tried to, um, you know, stay in contact with them to hook them up with a path either back to their family or somewhere else. And we've actually had a couple of kids reach out to us in contact. One of them uh, just made it off the streets, uh, three years being on the streets and full recovery and rehab back with his family. Um, you know, so the, 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 the homeless, uh, situation that's got a kind of a soft spot in my heart along with, uh, um, you know, at risk youth that are out there too. Cause I think there's a lot of kids growing up these days with they're in broken school, school systems in a combination with a broken home in a combination of not having a mentor 
which I think is disastrous. So that's like another focus of ours is trying to mentor youth. Uh, they're in those situations to put them in a, um, I guess, help them get into a better scene. Um, those are a few of the ways that we'll uh, try to get back in our agency. Did you, did you document that process when you went out on the streets? Yeah, we did. We actually got a lot of video footage on it. It was actually quite interesting too. We're trying to put it together in a compilation. I'm going to do something again here local in Rochester, but I was out in California and I just got inspired to do it because there was this guy. I was out there, saw him. Uh, it, it actually started like this. Let's try to make a long story short. I was driving down the streets of California and I saw all these homeless people in tents and I thought how tragic that was. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I, I'd like to do something. And about an eighth of a mile later down the road, there was this sign that came up that said Church's Chicken. And I've never heard of a restaurant called Church. And I guess that's a chain down there. But to me, that was a sign that, you know, God told me to feed those people. So I drove in there, filled up the convertible with like 50 burgers and just walked down the street in my dress shirt and handing out food to everybody, feeding them. Uh, met this one guy that was down there. Uh, Kenny was telling me a circumstance, how he got on the street. And it was just, you know, he was a regular guy like you and I at one time in our lives and just fell on hard times and got stuck out there. Uh, he was actually did voiceover work and things like that, too. So I did a video recording of him with him. And I was like, hey, contact me. Maybe I'll try to get you some work and try to help any way I can. I shared that video with my wife and she's like, wow, I'm glad you took that video because you could have told me about that. And uh, I would have understood. But the fact you showed me, that was just in powerful. And that's actually right before Inspire Nation started with videos, because that showed me right there. I was like, wow, we need to like bring this to life in the form of a video to show people the problems that are out there. So they see how they can impact them and they can see the depth of them. So I did that. And then um, I met another guy that was out there. He was outside of a Burger King and uh, bought him a sandwich. Something told me to sit down and talk to him. And I, I talked to him and he actually said I was the first one in years to come down and take the time to talk to him and ask questions. He came out there three years prior. He was going to go out there with the mother of his three kids. Uh, she was going to start a hair salon. He was going to start uh, uh, a tattoo parlor. He was in a band. The band broke up. So he was on the street temporarily. And uh, he said, uh, you know, temporarily turned into a month. That turned into two months. And he said people treat them so badly out there. Uh, like they're not even human beings. They spit on them. They swear at them. And he goes, he got so depressed. Did he turn to drugs, which the drug dealers literally prey on these guys all day long. So what they do is as fast as they panhandle and get money, they know when they need their next fix. About 30 hours later, they come there, they take all their money that they panhandled for the day to give them their fix. And they're in this vicious cycle. And then they'll try to build tents to put over their head. But the cities and the towns will come in and rip their tents down. So as fast as they try to get ahead and put something over their head so they don't have the weather, the weather to deal with, or even just the lights, because they, they talk about one of the reasons why they also um, get stuck on drugs, too, because it's the only way to escape the scene they're in, because they got cars driving by, they got lights, they can barely sleep at night, and that's the only way they can get a good night's sleep is trying to find their, trying to find their next fix. And they're just stuck in this cycle that they can never get out of between the addiction and the lack of resources and then when they go to a shelter, the shelter is really not designed to help. It's like a temporary Band-Aid, stay here temporarily. But I think there's, with the, with the homeless, there's, there's a few different types of homeless people out there. There's people that just got on the street. There's people that are on the street for a while. And uh, then there's people that are having challenges mentally that are out there. 
so they, they really need in their truest form, different forms of treatment um, to help each one of them. But when they go to these shelters, it's like they're all combined into one, which creates maybe a, a scary atmosphere, especially somebody that's new to the streets. When that person that's been out there two weeks, three weeks, then, you know, that's probably the best opportunity that somebody can come in and, uh, and, and save them and save them at that point. So I got a chance to learn like really about this that I never understood at that depth of how people get out there. I think a lot of times you walk by and you just assume um, what got them there. And, and, and it, there's really a big backstory to a lot of these people. There, there was another kid that I met that was out there. Um, he basically blamed it on the school system, said he was in school. He hit life and life was nowhere near what school was. He wasn't prepared for life. Life hit him in the face. Um, his girlfriend broke up with him at the same time. He didn't know what to do. He turned the drugs, ended up on the street, was on there for three years, but he was a bright kid. Uh, he, he actually played really good guitar and we videoed him playing uh, guitar and he taught himself. He actually found broken phones and tablets and went to Wi-Fi hotspots and found YouTube videos on how to, uh, play guitar, had a guitar that somebody gave him on the streets and actually taught himself riffs and how to play music. And uh, the music is what got him through the day and got allowed him to not want to, you know, to not exist anymore. And that, right. that, kept him, that kept him going. So we documented a lot of that. And I went down to Goodwill and actually bought clothes and uh, dressed up after I did all that. I wanted to learn more at a deeper level. Went out mm -hmm. on the streets the following day as if I was a homeless person because I went from helping them on the streets and it was, it was interesting to, to do that experiment too. Cause when I was helping people, everybody's congratulating me. I'm walking in the store, buying things for them. They're like, Oh, it's great that you're doing that. We do that all the time. Um, not everybody likes to give back. It's great that you did that. When I went on the street, the, the next day, went into those same stores, dress up as a homeless person. Those same people say they help people all the time. They traded me like I was a criminal. Immediately I walked in the store, they called loss prevention. They were trying to kick me out. And then like, on video, I literally took off my hat and I said, uh, you know, don't you remember me? And they got a little freaked out. They're like, no, you're the guy from the night before. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know, take a time to, to tell me about why you reacted the way you did. And they, they, they admitted that, you know, I think we're so stigmatized by it that when we walk by people sometimes that we just assume they're just, their money's just going to go to drugs. They just assume they're maybe a bad person or, um, and they forget that they're still a human being and, you know, in, in a time that they need to be lifted up, the last thing that they need is somebody else like kicking them down and instead they'll, you know, lend a hand to try to try to pull them up. But, you know, I got, uh, you know, I definitely, it was, it was an experience that I'll never forget because people treated me like, like I, I was, I didn't even exist on the streets, you know, when I, when I was out there doing it. What a crazy contrast. Yeah. People, people are crazy. I mean, we all want to be, we all want to be that person that helps, but truly when it comes down to it, how many times do we pass somebody or yeah, the homeless person's walking next to you. You might dodge them or, or something where it could just be a friendly high. Um, you know, it's definitely, there's definitely, you know, Absolutely. And, and for me too, like, I think it's like when I'm giving back, like I'm never in a better place where I feel less stress. It, it's kind of strange too, no matter what's going on in life, when I'm giving back to somebody and I see it's making an impact in them, 
like, you know, your stress isn't there, your problems aren't there, like you, your problems all of a sudden become so small. It, it's just, it's almost, it sounds kind of crazy, but it's almost like therapeutic in a way uh, that, uh, you know, you, you it, it just, I, I never feel more balanced when I'm like trying to give back to society. So that's another thing that I'd say motivates me, you know, to, to try to do more. And I'm a big believer too. It's not the reason why we do it, but the more you give in this world, I think the universe is designed a specific way and the more, the more good you put into it, the more good comes back and return to you. I can't think of countless scenarios when we've done something good for other people, even in times where it was difficult to do so. It's in those same times, literally two days later, things just fall in your lap. Things happen. Things, things that you worried about before just tend to fall into place. Um, whichever reason that may be, I, I always find that that be, to be the case when you're, you're doing the right thing by people. So you do so much uh, where you are now to compare where you were 10 years ago, 15 years ago is remarkable. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I was in a horrible, well, like 15 years ago, horrible place. I didn't have a job. Um, it took me a long time to kind of pull myself out mentally. My mindset was just messed up. Um, what would you tell somebody that might be in a mindset? I mean, we're, this is a lot of insurance agents that listen but like they might look at you and go, Hey man, he's, he's got it all. He's got this big agency. I mean, obviously it didn't start that way, but he's got this big agency. He doesn't get it. I could never do it. Right. That's what everybody tells themselves. They're in that mindset of the victim. Um, I think there's a lot of victim mindsets in insurance, especially now that it's kind of changing and it's harder to acquire customers. Um, what would you say, to help them kind of pull themselves out of that mindset and get, go to like the abundance mindset that you, that you seem to have. Absolutely. I mean, first off being transparent every day, isn't sunshine and roses. Like the more, the more money, more problems, more, the more, the more you take on, the more problems they are. I think the the biggest thing was, was investing in myself to make myself more capable. I could deal with those problems more nimbly and I could figure out how to solve them a lot quicker and my problem shifted by continuously investing in myself. So the things that I worried about 10 years ago, I thought about if I worried about them now, like I'd feel like I'm out of my mind. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I learned in my mentor program with Ty Lopez was I asked him the question, because uh, we get opportunities to ask these guys, uh, you know, a question here and there. And I asked him the question, if he could go back to his 20-year-old self and give himself like a couple pieces of wisdom that would allow him to get where he is today and half the time back then, what would those be? You know, one of the things that he said was, you know, keep acquiring knowledge at a rapid rate, becoming better and better. That's what Warren Buffett does. You read the, the guy gets up with a cup of coffee, eats his McDonald's and reads a book every single day. And he does that to getting better every single day to stay sharp. And what, what he, what he does is when he gets better, the people below him get better. So the tide rises and then everybody in the organization can handle those problems a lot more effectively. That, and he said, just like some of the most, the world's most powerful leaders, Alexander the Great, our presidents, people that lead nations, they build a powerful cabinet around them. That resonated with me. Um, you know, they typically have X amount of cabinet members around them that get things done. So they find highly capable people that can execute on their behalf and they can be up there at the top leading these people to be a lot more nimble and uh, um, get what they would have tried to get done on their own in maybe a 10th of the time. Um, so that, that's been a big thing in our organization. We try to invest in our people. 
Uh, we try to go out and find very talented people, even in these new businesses they are, because we have so much going on. I can't afford to hire somebody that's like low caliber or inexperienced that's going to constantly hit with question, 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 and do it. Like, I need a badass. I need a problem solver. Somebody can spearhead something. And, you know, it's difficult to find those people, but invest in them, spend the extra money, keep searching for them. You'll find them when you find them and you bring them into your organization, your world will get so much better. Um, and I'd say I would attribute that to success in our agency too. We have great leaders in here. Uh, when our leaders leave, we try to have a succession plan for them. Somebody to step in. We got to spend a little bit of time with them, but spend the time with them, grow your leaders because they're the ones that are going to look out for your organization. Um, and, and, you know, some people I'll see have the time, like they're, they're so scared. Like people are in scarcity mode. Like I don't want to teach or train my people. I don't want to expose them to agency ownership. Because if they leave me, I'm stuck finding the next person. And I think that's backwards thinking. That's actually poisonous thinking. Because by doing that, you're going to lose that person anyways. But by also doing that too, I think um, it's a more detrimental impact having untrained people in your organization than having high caliber people that you're investing in that know that you care about them and you want to help them get to the next level. Um, I've always found doing what's right, doing what's right by them. Um, wins every you know every single time and we didn't just blink and get to where we were overnight it was literally years building you know just think about it as a foundation and we put a block at a time one block one block one block too many people out there you want to get there overnight and there's no quick way to get there but people want to get there quick so the the i think the trap they fall in is they look for that silver shiny bullet to get there and that doesn't exist and there's some people that fall into this never ended pattern of chasing that shiny bullet that's just not out there. It, it's, it, uh, oh, there. it is out there, and I'll tell you what it looks like. It's busting your ass in hard work. Like, put, it, put, the, put the work in, and that's, that's the magic bullet. If I can give everybody, like, the advice out there, the, the, the golden nugget, go out there, bust your ass, level up, and put the work in, and you will grow, and the people, you'll raise the tide underneath you. Love it. Love it. Knowledge and consistent execution, right? Absolutely. Well, we will, we will work up on double time to get this thing edited, pushed up so that we can get it in before Tuesday. Okay, perfect. Uh, That's great. And we'll push it to the groups uh, so that you get as much visibility as possible. No, that means a lot, man. I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll do I'll, I'll do it tonight. I'll, I'll finish it and then Craig can upload it tomorrow. Yeah. No, I appreciate it, guys. We, we really appreciate your time and you dropping all these knowledge bombs, Dave. No, awesome. anytime, man. Glad to. Love it. Yeah. You got a big heart, man. It's awesome. Thank you, man. Awesome. Yeah, you guys too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely, we appreciate man. No, thank you. Well, love, love what you guys do too and listening to you guys. So, Thanks. Appreciate it. We'll see you on the next one. All right, absolutely. I'll look forward to it. You guys have a good rest of your day. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, yep. Thanks, Dave. All right, take care, guys. Your Insurance Dudes podcast is sponsored by Agency Vault, an industry leader in agency coaching, hiring and retaining top talent, and sales training with the seven-step trusted advisor sales framework. Are you up for the challenge? For $99, you'll get 28 days of access and an opportunity to join our private platinum coaching group. For more information, navigate to www.agencyvault.com. 
Hey, thanks for checking out the Insurance Dudes. Hey, please subscribe. We got some really great stuff coming out.